Hello and welcome. I'm so grateful you're here. I'm your host, Meg Berryman, and this is the Beyond Being Well podcast. Here at the show, we are passionate about helping you, helping you build deep relationships with yourself, the earth, and others, helping you foster a deep, embodied sense of well being and empowerment, helping you slow down, work sustainably, and consume mindfully and helping you create social change from the inside out. So settle in, get cozy, and let's get straight on with the episode. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm so thrilled that you've joined me for another episode and this one's a cracker which is why I wanted to fast track it to your ear holes. I recorded the conversation today. I'm literally sitting here with a hot water bottle um, editing it now and yeah it's a really really deep enriching conversation um, that we cover a lot of bases and I'm sure you're just going to get strapped in and come along the wild ride with us because I really, really enjoyed recording it. Before I dive into introducing the guest, just a quick reminder that Embodied Changemaker starts on September 10th and it is a four-week deep dive really into building your capacity to lead and make change, to be the change and make change, right? Um, And so it's a toolkit of embodiment practices, of reflect, reflection practices. Together we're going to be reimagining what activism looks like and is. Um, if you're looking for an entry point into working with me before joining one of the bigger programs, either my business mastermind or sacred steward, this is your opportunity um, for the rest of the year. So we kick off September 10. You can find out all the information by going to my Instagram at MegJBerryman and clicking on the Humanitics link there. My website is being redeveloped, so um, I am housing the info on this one somewhere else. Um, Or you can reach out to me, Meg at MegBerryman.com, and I will send you the details. So here is my chat with the wondrous Bridget Wood, and Bridget is the founder of Suburban Sandcastle. She's also the co-founder of Nourishing the Mother, which is an incredible podcast. If you haven't yet listened to it, then jump on over there because it was really um, the entry point for me into conscious parenting and has been such a source of wisdom and insight um, over the years of my own journey. So can't speak highly enough of this woman's work. Um, she's a thought leader. She's an events manager. She's a facilitator and she's a mother of three. And she really brings wisdom, heart and inspiration to folks with her unique knowledge of consciousness and current affairs. And Bridget and I uh, met earlier this year doing a course down in Melbourne before lockdown happened. We got into some deep conversations. Um, we just literally couldn't talk fast enough about really um, our shared passion for linking the internal work we do with what is happening in the macro and what is happening in the context and the social sphere. Um, and we just do more of that here. Lots of fast talking, lots of analysis, lots of weaving 
Um, and yeah, it was just a joy. So without further ado, here is my chat around embodied activism with Bridget Wood. Bridget, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Meg, for having me. I'm really excited about where this conversation's going to go and I bloody love it because here we are, it's like one o'clock on a Wednesday and um, we both just made it work today to be here and it wasn't confirmed before today and it's just the last week or so just coming back into connection and co-creating in that way and we're both manifesting generators, right, and so this is how we create best is in that Mm. moment and so I'm just wondering how you are today and how your body is and what's in your experience and yeah yeah thank you so much I just I'm just like reveling in that that reality that yeah like this is the life that we create when we get to go "Mm, this feels good I want to move in that direction and not always know where that direction is going but that you trust the the um the breadcrumbs on the way of that and you know this conversation is one of those things which I think is beautiful Mm. um so yeah like I'm in Melbourne I'm in if people are listening or following along with um the COVID situation at stage four lockdown here in Melbourne at the moment when we're recording and I just exited our little bubble to go out into the world and I just realised how much, you know, we get so safe in our bubble and and it is the stretching beyond whatever form that bubble is that is when we get activated and when we hit new edges and that was certainly one of my experiences today, taking my three kids out and and just going, ah, oh, this is where the work is, right? Like we think that we have answers and then we stretch beyond our little sphere of awareness back into, you know, a new and specially ever-evolving reality that we're facing right now and we go, ah, oh, I had trouble with the outside world here, but what that really brought up for me was this, right? And, like, that that's the working with um you know, self and other that I find particularly parenting is so much about. Um, and then, I, you know, obviously also extending that out into the clients that I work with too is like, oh, like the, the, the symbiotic relationship that we're always creating with whoever comes into our sphere is so potent for both people, right, um, and what it asks of us to grow into. So I'm good. I'm feeling good and I love that how, we've, you know, you, t- you led me on a beautiful um little opening before we started which was just what I needed to land in my body again for this conversation so thank you Meg (laughs) (laughs) I love it I love it though because that exact um piece that you're talking about is we we both we both have courses out at the moment around embodied Mm. activism and I just love that and I love I love that we come at it from different perspectives but what you're speaking to about the the place between the place that we go to inhabit and yeah. the place that we want to inhabit. I find that, I find that place very interesting. And I, and what I have been exploring a lot in the last this year, particularly in the face of so much complexity and so much ambiguity and how as leaders and as parents and as socially conscious humans, we need to be better at, inhabiting the ambiguity but also inhabiting home within the ambiguity yeah Uh, this question of like how do we build our resilience to hold our shape within ambiguity but then how do we also 
allow ourselves to flow with the ambiguity. And, and it's just this really, like, I love that conversation, that, that, that time and that place that you have taught me so much about of like, oh, I can see the exact moment that I left my body. Mm. <laughs> and I went either towards a, a personality or a trait or a characteristic or a stress physiology that felt safer in that moment. And then mm. that practice of, as you just said, coming home to before we started this conversation. So tell me more about that space, like in your current wanderings, particularly in the context that we have right now, like where are you exploring this embodied activism from and what does that mean to you? Well, I mean, for me, I have a tendency to go down rabbit holes. So my background <laughs> my background being I trained as a journalist and um, have a spent a lot of my 20s really deepening my understanding of of you know social activism and politics and all of that and those are such heady endeavors and you know there's a there's so much righteousness that can be so can surround all of that so when we look at what's happening globally I, I think what I've embodied a lot more in the last five to ten years has been the truth that we live in a dualistic world and that there is always a balance going on so as much as our value set might lead us down a path um, which we want to say reflects is reflective of the truth or is of, of reflective of what might be right, the truth is that the universe, you know, instant instantly offers up an off, a, a completely opposite experience in order to ensure that evolution happens because you just as much as you have technologists wanting to you know, level up the technology of the world. You have ecologists who are being created to try to save the world and they they are these opposing forces in many ways, but that they actually need each other at every sphere of awareness. And so for me, that process is looking at, you know, where am I getting attached to things and I'm taking myself outside my own body as a result and how do I come back into you know, an authentic space of truth for me that, you know, even if I don't know the big answers, that I can sit in the questions and be confident enough to take my own next right step. And that is, you know, a skill set that I've really had to build and that I certainly see motherhood has helped me avail myself of because I think from, for me, my experiences of infertility or fertility challenges were very much grounding experiences for me to get back into my body mm-hmm. um, and to learn my body because I think it was really easy when you intellectualise things and that you expand your mind development that you can miss expanding your embodied presence um, and that then leads to, you know, rah-rah, like, you know, angst and anger Um, as opposed to this place of I've got myself here, you know, I'm holding myself at the same time as using my voice out there to create change. Mm, I love it. I'm obsessed with that examination of the micro and the macro, right, and the dance between both. Mm. And, um, and And it's a very similar experience of having had a really solid understanding of disembodied activism and adversarial activism and Mm. which which I totally see its role too, right? Like I totally can include that. But for me, it just wasn't sustainable. 
um, yeah. to be able to carry that level of intensity and stress physiology in my body mm. whilst also wanting to grow other parts of my experience, including being able to have a permaculture property, being able to have relationship, being able to have children. And that's where I think it was that desire for more. And I say more, not in the capitalist sense, but in the um, embodied sense of being able to hold more that I had to look at activism and social change differently, right, of like that there has to be a way of integrating this in some way so can you tell me about that process yeah I know like from journalism and then and then you had Hugo right after that and then that journey was where suburban sandcastle started that's right yeah so I had my first son my first child who's now seven and I had a miscarriage before I had him, which was really a big awakening and, in fact, one of the biggest gifts because what that void created was such a um, value on really being enormously present and and connected to myself and also really centred on the values that I wanted to um, imbibe as a parent. And so in having him and then really realising that, that there was a world that I wanted to inhabit that I couldn't see yet. Like so there was a, a parenting or a motherhood philosophy that I knew was possible but that my present reality locally wasn't um, reflecting to me was there um, meant that I had to go and search for that and being such an avid researcher. I found it and helped create that for myself and, and and in turn looking around and seeing that there was all of this stuff that I was learning that I couldn't see my immediate um, community or even city kind of area reflecting. I thought I want to create something that has that um, that value on elevating our consciousness and recognising that there's so much more potential within our humanity within who we are as women within our potential as humans to co-create a world that you know is is in alignment and and that can can work in 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 greater flow with our own nature and therefore broader nature um was was really where suburban sandcastles came from and and i love i kind of love that 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 through the pain of seeing that something's not there, it creates such a value in order to create it. And in doing that, it, it, it instantly initiates somebody else and all of the right people that you want to kind of move towards you to co-create that with you, which is absolutely what's happened with that. Um, yeah, so that was my, that's really been my experience and, and the unfolding of that and the unfolding of myself along that and because, you know, our businesses are a reflection of ourselves and as we change, mm -hmm. our business has to change mm -hmm. and there's pain points in that because you realise that where you thought you were going is not where you want to go anymore and so how do you shed all of that stuff that says, you know, but it needs to look like this and you've worked so hard and you've promised this to these people and, you know, all of that kind of stuff that gets wrapped up in it um, and then the courage that it takes to unwind some of that and to you know, let yourself go where you're being called to go somewhere differently is it's really powerful um, and also terrifying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really <laughs> terrifying. And I think, you know, these, these spaces of 
inhabiting, being able to inhabit all of these different spaces, right, of like business and activism and motherhood and, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's the classic manifesting generator way in a way that we can do that but there is also pain that comes with that of never feeling fully inhabiting one space beautifully yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think that it's again like uh, so so what I'm curious about is I think that that impulse that you spoke about of the void you know that that in the impulse to create change coming so often from a from a dysregulated state. And I think that that's perfect. I think that that's mm. totally the way it's meant to be. But then for me, it's like, how do we orient through that process? Because that impulse and that spark can't sustain us. And I think what I see really often is that in that process of being like, I desire to like create this or move toward this. Or as you said, I desire to get to the mother that inhabits this other way. We sometimes leave our bodies behind and step into the shoes of someone else or something else. And as women, right, like that has been taught so easily to us, just like inhabit someone else, be someone else. And so I'm just curious of like where this line is for you around letting go of the things not meant for us, you know, those desires. And then we try and move toward them and there's that impetus and that impulse. But along the way, we realize actually that's not something, a space that I want to inhabit or that is for Mm. me versus building our capacity to step in there. Do you know what I mean? There's Mm. this like, at what point do we stop trying to build our capacity and just say, actually, that's not meant for me. Yeah, it's a really, really good question because if it's something, I mean, I think if it's something that's in alignment, like our energy is infinite when we know the source, but it's when we try to contort ourselves to fit what we think it should be or that we continue to try to make ourselves do something that we're no longer lit up by, that that, that then we get to that place of depletion. Mm. And so for me, I keep coming back to the importance of boundaries being the place at which you're about to lose yourself and that that's exactly what guides me in parenting and it also guides me in terms of checking in constantly with the work that I do because I don't want to be out of congruence with what I ask of others if I'm not in alignment with myself Mm-hmm. And so, and so that really looks like, I mean, for me, it's a process of, you know, um, looking at my values and looking at how they shift and change and looking at how I'm identifying myself because our, you know, we, we, we are, it's so much made up of the ego attachment that we have to the identity that we are. And mm. it's, it's, the, it's, it's, the, it's the transformation of identity or the loss of identity that causes our sense of suffering because we're not who we said we were or think we were, think we are anymore. And I certainly see that, that with women, um, when they become mothers, often it's a, it's a letting go of a, of a previous identity and, and that, that free fall of trying to construct a new one mm-hmm. um, when you are so irrevocably changed. So for me, I have a process where I regularly assess, you know, what my life is demonstrating is important to me because we can say what's important to us and we can say it with, you know, as much meaning as we might want to. And But sometimes that is also coloured a lot by what we think we should be or, or maybe what our values used to be. But our lives don't lie because we are always directing our energy and our time and our money Um you know, and our resources toward that which we most value. Mm-hmm. 
we kind of can't escape that. And so it's a humbling exercise I find for me to do that on a regular basis and see what's coming up and see the see where I want to not be honest with myself sometimes too mm-hmm. about about where I'm shifting because I might have you know the shoulds in my head that say no 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 like you committed to that you should still do that or you know what will you know so and so think if you don't you know do that anymore or you know what will your mom say you know all the, the people that we value as well we inject we tend to inject their values and think we need to live like that and so the process of shedding um is a process for me of looking at like what's working and what's not working and also how if I still want all these things how do I need to have the conversations in my world that are going to help me have that and help mm. me achieve that in a way that's not taking away from other people either um, and still supporting them. Like in the case of my husband, we're often checking in with each other about what we each need for us to feel good and anchored as leaders of our family and to ensure that we can give our kids what they need. And, and like that's a fairly constant conversation because otherwise there's resentment and no one feels good. And so it, I consider that um, as a universe at the same time as I consider my businesses and you know there's certainly time where suburban sandcastles you know I got to the point with events where I was like when I had one child it was really great felt really good for me to evolve where my audience wanted that business to go and really respond to recommendations that people made to me about what they wanted to see but it got to a point where my time and my energy became so much more crystal clear for me that I wanted to direct it in a way that felt good for me that I then you know probably once I had my second child decided that I was only going to be doing um topics and themes that that lit me up that that I could because I could see a pattern I could see a pattern of events and if it was one that I thought I should do or the people wanted but that it wasn't true for me I would have half the audience there it would take a lot of work Mm -hmm. um compared to the ones where I was really beautifully lit up by and nobody had to ask me to do anything, um, any of the tasks associated with with that event. It was just done. You know, it was as good as done as soon as I had secured the licence for the film, for example. Mm-hmm. And so that was a really great feedback for me to see that where my energy goes and what calls my energy is something that I need to continue to be in conversation with because if I'm not... I build resentment towards myself and I build resentment towards the world outside of me. But essentially it's, it's all feedback to me. It's all feedback to me, not listening to myself essentially. Mm. But it can be, it could be a tough road to like be honest with yourself about that because we, as you say, like as women are so taught to contort ourselves and be a bit of a chameleon and be who people, be who we think people want us to be right. And people please and all of that. Yeah, and then we become, as you say, um, we become so adept at justifying it. <laughs> like that's what I find fascinating. Hey. Like I've just hit this new point, two epiphanies this week. One of like where have period undies been my whole life? But anyway, that's a whole <laughs> other conversation. Yeah, yeah. But um, no, because with each subsequent child, but I don't think, I think childbirth, I think, child rearing is just one portal for awakening and you and I had a conversation last week about like your vision being around these 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 liminal spaces and how they're 
portals for awakening. And I think that's just Mm. one, but for me, each time that free fall that you spoke about, and then the desperate clinging onto identity and then the Mm. reconstruction of identity, and then that new identity being feeling good for a while. But as you said, that nuance of really being truthful about what does the feedback look like for me because everyone Mm. will experience it quite differently and that idea of nourishment when I am nourished by something I know it is true for me and Mm. so when I do a course or when I put out a program or when I do anything that is exactly what you said for someone else or what I think someone else will like it is, and I am never nourished by it. I'm always mm. drained by it. And it's so interesting to me this week, I've just been like a, a whole new free fall, right? As we consider maybe bringing another child into our family. And now like here it goes again, the whole deconstruction, yeah, but which right? is actually, which is actually just coming home in a different form and a, and a deepening of like, here's where it's not congruent. Right. But mm. that idea of, the only way I can ever truly be nourished by what I'm doing is when nourishment is the feedback to me that I'm being me Mm. and all the ways, even in my work that I've tried on different forms of facilitating different language, different leadership styles, different, you know, but, but the real truth comes in the form of like, not even money. It just comes in the form of, I feel nourished by it. And isn't that just like extraordinary? I mean that that that's like the gold, right? Like that. I mean, that's you know where we all want to be is that is in that beautiful space of like it feels really good for me. Therefore, I know it's going to feel good for you in most cases because I'm really authentic here. Mm. Like, and, and and the space that I'm holding here is of such integrity that I'm here in this moment, and there is nothing else, right? There is no other agenda. Um, and I think that's so enormously powerful. And I think it speaks to being you know, really authentic because you're not attached to who you think you should be. You're not attached to someone else's experience of who they think you should be because you've been you at every step um, of the process of engagement through the work that you do, which is totally what you do too, right? Like you're, you're bringing, you're making so many of your privates public in such a way that you can't, people, you are exactly who who you are to to the people and women that you serve and I think that is such a great gift in a world of illusion as well Mm, yeah and but it's I mean I I think the other thing here is when we come back to this conversation around capacity the extraordinary um toolkit that is needed to be able to do that like you know and, and the more that I think our influence expands and deepens the the greater the rigor of the toolkit needs to be and the greater yes. the um in order to regenerate right in order to keep that infinity sign going around and around yeah yeah the amount that we need to receive and be nourished needs to be greater and greater and i think mm-hmm. that's like it's the absolute opposite of what you see leadership doing that that the higher up you get in a company the less time you have for yourself right whereas Mm. I think it should be totally the opposite the higher you get up the more nourishment you need in a way yeah Yeah. and I mean it's I mean some of the I mean whether you agree with their businesses or not like some of the greatest leaders like I look at think it's Warren Buffett who spends like four hours a day is it him four hours a day who spends like four hours a day reading, you know, like, and so, so whatever your nourishment is, right. So for him, it's reading and, and he f- feels deeply nourished by that process. Mm. But, 
I mean, I guess if, if we if we know our energy well enough and we know our skill set well enough and our genius zone well enough, then to build into our day the very thing that just creates that amazing cycle of regeneration is exactly, you know, where we need to be and where it feels good for everybody else. And I, I love that I feel like there's a big shift towards this now, whereas a couple of years ago it was all about like hustle and hustle and you've just got to hustle more, whereas we're in this um, more of a relationship space between you know, ourselves and the world as opposed to just like giving and giving and who cares if there's anything left for you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is so exciting. And I think that the that the form is changing from like Band-Aid to, um, to releasing the kinks in the first place. Like it's just a different, yeah. as, as we deepen our awareness of trauma and all of those things, I think we're getting better at tending in the moment to things as they arise rather than letting them accumulate and and I I like to and I like to think I mean like if you think about us you know the level of the soul like and the body being the barometer of the soul like our our soul wants us to say yes to who we really are and no to who we're not Mm. but it can take so much learning and unlearning and it's a lifetime I think really of learning and unlearning what is you and what is not Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I think if we follow that as a premise and remember that no matter what we do, we're going to be both supported and challenged, mm. that it's wiser to say yes to yourself and no to someone else, you know, and piss the other person off than it is to piss your own soul off, right? Mm. Because you are with you for your whole life and you are of most service to the world when you're your most authentic you. Mm. So that and the amount of permission that I think that gives other people when they see you say yes to what's meaningful and no to what's not it's such a beautiful blueprint for others to follow you know to be able to to see you like sticking your neck out and saying what's true even if people don't like it and you having the courage to hold the space for the person who doesn't like it without taking that on board but Mm. allowing them to have their experience while you say, you know, this is who I'm for and in me saying who I'm for, that is implying who I'm not for and I'm Mm. okay with that. I don't have to be all things to all people Mm -hmm. Um, just because I wouldn't expect that of my children. I'm not raising them to contort themselves to fit every, you know, everything that somebody else wants for them. And so I don't want that for myself. Um, and that's really the practice I think is, is to, is to go beyond that, you know, that colonization process that's embedded in us to pull it, you know, to pick it apart bit by bit mm. and get to, you know, the truth of who we are now, which we know is going to change as we change mm-hmm. and that that is part of it. It's not something to fix or get rid of or, you know, try to band-aid, as you say. It's something to be constantly in in dialogue with within. Mm-hmm. I, oh, my God, I love it. Last week I interviewed Desiree Attaway and she just asked this question. I've been thinking about it obsessively ever since. It's like, who are you accountable for? She said she walks into... Um, she walks into to work with corporate leaders, huge heads of multinationals, white men. She says, and I don't give a F what they think of me. She said, because I'm not accountable to them. I'm accountable to the black women in that organization. And I was like, yes, wow. that, right? Like that question, who am I accountable for? Somehow gives 
empowerment and capacity to hold our shape in the in the in the face of systems that want us to conform and contort and I think it's so powerful you know for me I am accountable to my great 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 grandchildren and that you know that is what I know the lifetime of work I do with women over my lifetime, it's not going to be seen in my lifetime, you know, so I have Mm. to be accountable for five generations and my actions have to be accountable to that. And yet it's liberating because it says to me, I'm not actually accountable to these systems that we've built. And there is a space to, in my not consenting to them, which takes the form of me holding my shape the same thing right it's like that is that is rebellion to me that is revolution yeah and I mean for me I mean embodied the embodied practice of that for me has really been how I've done birth Mm. and how I you know I think continue to to practice parenting because this is where I think the personal is political because when you when you hold such conviction personally with what your values are and you hold the vision that you have I mean you're you're holding a vision for so long that every system that we have currently will never look the same right like those Mm -hmm. systems will be will be in the history books if you're looking seven generations ahead and so to have that vision means that this roadblock that this system has you see through that yeah and you see through that, and I mean, this is a, you know one of the constant conversations I have, you know, and I'm actually doing it um, this week to talk a little bit about birth in the context of COVID and home birth and all of that. And, you know, reminding people that, you know, here in Australia, home birth is, you know, so many media, media sound bites that, that make it seem dangerous, but, you know, it's actually part of the standard model of care in the UK. Mm-hmm. So we need to understand you know, all of the ways in which our meaning is constructed through dominant paradigms. And those Mm -hmm. are just dominant paradigms of a small, you know, number of people and the amplification of a small number of people's viewpoints. Mm -hmm. If you tilt, if you tilt things enough, you have a different set of viewpoints. And, you know, many cases, my, my views seem to sit in some ways in more of those minority viewpoints, but at some point, I'm quite sure that the pendulum will swing as it has to over time. Mm. And so if we hold the vision for how we show up, we become part of that change, part of the building of energy towards the world that we want to see. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, you so beautifully do that. And I love that. And like, you know, you are living that with the way that you live on your land. Mm. And it's, and it's like, it's the no is as generative as the yes sometimes. I think like yeah. that's just the capitalist construct of like activism is about more, it's about doing more and it's about giving more and it's and for me it's like your sacred no mm. is generative. You know, it is there are worlds that are created in your unwillingness to conform and whatever that looks like, right? Yeah, and the thing is I think for many people especially if you're so a part of a system that you don't even know you're in a system, Mm. the moment that somebody kind of like a factory line, like the moment that a machine breaks or a person says no, it's like everyone else looks around and goes, what, what you're allowed to say no. Like Mm -hmm. there's a choice here because so much of, of um, cooperation or subordination is implied because, you know, simply by participation in these systems, but, but, very often we don't realise we have a choice Mm -hmm. and there's so much power in being the 
change agent within the, you know, your, the role that we play in that system, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in you and I both for our second births both had inductions and that process yeah. for me, right off, like how to make that empowered. And I know that yours was similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and the feeling of doing that in an empowered way was magnificent, you know, and of course there was still stuff to work through after, but I knew when I was holding that baby at the end of that process, that there had been choice in how that process went. And so even when we're within a system, there's still choice, you know, it's not about I'm either in or I'm out and the being out means that I have to be in fight mode and I have to be Mm -hmm. adversarial and I have to be litigious and I have to, it doesn't have to look like that. Like where are you operating? Where are you pushing? Are you at the macro? You wanted to change laws. Are you at the mezzo? Are you like at this, or are you at this embodied or relational level? Like where do you Mm -hmm. feel best operating? And Mm. you know, how can you, leverage that in the systems that you find yourself within Mm, so beautiful because yes it's not so much I mean this this is it's part of that um you know that old at age you know it's not what happens to you it's how you're perceiving it and so Mm. you can have a really empowered embodied experience even in for example that induced hospital birth which you know in theory we did neither of us wanted Mm. but that when you enter it with a level of consciousness about what you can learn from it and how you can actually use that experience to change the system within Mm. it can be a really empowering experience I mean that was certainly the case for me with my second birth Mm -hmm. yeah and I wonder just you know going back to the permaculture principle of like me like all the magic happens on the margins I actually wonder whether there's a, a hell of a lot of learning to be had in those fringes. And I know you've had this similar experience with education, right? Of like mm-hmm. those interactions of being on the margins and interacting with them. Like I wonder whether that's even more powerful in some, if if you have that embodied practice, right, mm-hmm. than just simply stepping out and saying I'm not going to be a participant. And I think that's a really yeah. like a really fine line because I think in the case of like toxic workplaces and I think sometimes the the no and the non-consenting is really vital, right? But I wonder Yeah. Yeah, I just had yeah, I, I don't I don't want to I mean like I I don't want to just cuz you know you see you see people taking you know almost like a dystopian view mm. at the moment um you know and therefore if you're having a, a view of that we're living in a dystopia then you want to swing the complete opposite and live in a utopia mm-hmm. which again I mean they're both delusions really yeah totally and so you're running away from one delusion to attach to another so mm-hmm. whereas I would rather live in the embodied place of conscious creation of what I want um but not but not trying to avoid every trigger on that path, like every emotional trigger, which is essentially somebody choosing something different to me um, by, you know, trying to live completely off grid and away from anybody who would, who would touch that edge for me. Like I, I'm, I'm willing to be in the place of, you know, like for instance, choosing mainstream education and going, Oh, I don't like that, you know, and feeling and stretching and massaging into that, discomfort and asking myself how I can stay here and move towards it and create you know some change and where I can't create the change that I want have empowered conversations with my children about what do you think about this and how do you think you could work with that and oh your teacher said that what do you think they're feeling you know and, and that be an education process for how they move in a world um, that won't always understand them 
as opposed to trying to create a world that's completely separate from the world which we, with, with, within which we live. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I quite like that dance. I do too. I really like it. And I, I also think that it's, um, I don't know, like I, I just think it's such a beautiful gift to teach our children too, right, yeah. of like because when someone walks away and throws up their hands and 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 what it, we all do that, right, like we all have yeah. those moments. To me, to me it's a nervous system thing. It's a, it's a tolerance in the nervous system that we mm. hit an edge and we're like, I'm out. And that's totally beautiful and fine right that's so there's so much compassion for that moment that we're like this is too much and you see it a lot at the moment people are being like I want to go and live somewhere else or I want it like I'm out you know there's just this fed up yeah. you know I'm done yeah and, which is <laughs> yeah. really which is really powerlessness but it's a but it's also um a freeze it's just like I'm out and I'm and I'm gonna yeah. go watch Netflix or whatever it is, and that's fine. Mm. But I think just knowing that for me is like I can have awareness of when I'm when I hit that point, or when mm. I really get into that high fight, fight and flight mode of um, <clears throat> super agitated, super focused, super honed in on making that person or that system or that thing wrong, because mm. at that point I am not able to have to hear or to listen or to have a courageous conversation about what I need or what my kids need. And Mm. so both of those like really hyper um, dysregulated states, like we're living in that most of the time. (laughs) So no wonder we want to walk away, you know, and, but how do we we bring ourselves back to be able to engage in some way? Yeah. And I mean, I also think, you know, what, what we, what we try to run away from, we run into and, hmm. or, or, you know, or we become, right? So whatever we, whatever we condemn, we breed, attract or become. And so the work for me is often in one of my favourite affirmations that I like to hold is, you know, as I'm going about my day, I say to myself, I am willing and open to seeing and owning all that I am. Mm. And so, for instance, when I'm really angry at like the Victorian premier and I want to like call him <laughs> names and stuff, <laughs> and then, you know, then I will be to the degree to which I will disown what I see in him is, is the degree to which I will embody that. And mm. so even this morning I said to my husband, because I was like cracking the whip to get the kids out the door, and I said, oh, hang on, here I am, I'm dictator Dan, like I'm being a dictator, you know, he, he, here's my form, here's where I express it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, if we, if we otherize all the things that we don't like in the world, then we will continue to be weighed down by what we see in the world because I think it's actually asking us to say, hey, this is you too. Like this thing you don't like, it's you as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more that we can own the reflection, the more I think that we don't meet that um, confrontation in the same way. Yes. So I, that that's powerful for me. And, and certainly, you know, even if we go back to that, you know, that story around birth and, st- and, and to really st- stare in the face, the opposite experience that we're wanting to call in to see that that too would be okay. Mm-hmm. And that that too, I could accept and that that too could be empowering so that we're not trying to run away from that experience to create something else, but rather choose, you know, create what we want to create from a really embodied place that recognises that there's value in both. 
It's so profound, right? Like just this idea of the more we can include, the more inclusion there is too, right? And the more we can widen our lens of what is acceptable and palatable and, um, and beautiful and, is is has capacity then the more space literally we are making in the fabric of society for different Mm. paths and different ways and different expressions and all of that starting from within and and I think I don't know I'm I've been playing with this theory that I'm not going to be able to articulate because it hasn't formed yet but just just reflecting on my own journey and how I coming from that kind of social change background And really seeing the folks that I was working for in a very disempowered way, which was really reflecting on the chronic um, undernourishment that I had felt growing up, right? And just that, Mm. like, I'm curious about how that patterning feeds into the way we see others in our social change work and our activism in the world and and how Mm. I see some people getting really resentful and activated by others and then some people going the opposite extreme and being very attached to them being victims and them being and I'm just like so that that's like a curiosity I have at the moment but then when you were talking about dictator Dan I was like yeah and then the other expression of like Dan save me you know, yeah, and they're both present. Well, they're both present. And, you know, and and like, I, I guess I kind of like, I get disappointed because I've got, you know, a number of friends on Facebook who are saying, you know, if I see anybody else, you know, like say dictator Dan, like I'm taking off my friend list. (laughs) I'm like, really? Like, can't we just hold both? Like, is it, can't we just hold the potentiality of everybody allowed to feel how they feel mm-hmm. because you know I think we're living on such a roller coaster here that that we are going to at some point have every expression right sometimes we're going to think oh my god I feel so saved by this government and like you know it could have been so much worse and other times where we're like oh my god I can't believe that they did that right like and because that is the human experience is, is to have to move and journey through like all parts and to try to like shield ourselves from having to see something because it offends us <laughs> I don't know like it just it, it kind of speaks to me um you know I know in America there's a lot of analysis on like you know the left becoming it's no longer being left anymore because it's like there's so everyone's just so afraid of being offended that you can't say anything mm. um and I just find that so like empty really because if you only want to be around people who think like you think and isn't that a bit kind of like I don't know dead Mm. like I'd rather be challenged to kind of then get really anchored in my truth or or even allow my truth to be shaped because we are we can't separate ourselves from the environment that we're in Mm. like we are co-creators with that environment all of the time and so to become aware of how we're shaped and to take off, you know, to put on a different set of lenses and see it differently, I think is, is one of the biggest gifts that we have when mm. we're trying to, you know, forge this conscious path. Mm. You know, and, I, and I'm even aware, like, even if you reflect back on our conversation, that there'll be probably contradictions in what I say, because oh, I think totally. as, Me as, too. as humans, like, right, like, because we are, we are a, a mass of contradictions. And I think the, the, the degree to which we're unwilling to own our contradictions is, is also where so much pain is because mm. you run around trying to hide from the world which represents parts of you you're not willing to be. Yeah. And, you know, that the path of parenting is made that much harder when you're trying to, you know, quash and change and shift parts of your child that you don't like, which are essentially parts of you mm. that you can't be with. Mm. And, 
I think parenting again is is one of those really powerful ways to practice embodied activism because it's holding the no and the boundary of your body it's it's holding the boundaries of your values it's willing to shift and change your values in line with your child it's being asked asking yourself to stretch your lens wider and break the labels that you have so I mean I think it's a profound path for me you know in terms of learning embodied activism to a to a um, greater degree and and in a way that's not really talked about at all in our culture no no, but also, but, but just also that capacity to have, to stay, as you said, but to also have the courageous conversations. Like, I just think, I just think all that you've spoken to is like, how can I be mobilized or activated by someone holding a different view to me and still stay in my fucking body while I'm in it? You know, that I, that it's like, you just see it on social media, like your friend saying, don't do that or don't do this. And that police, you know, that place, the appeasement place we can go to, to in our nervous system and just like, oh, there's just, um, you know, this, like, I, I'm really hyper aware of like you and I painting this picture of being okay and all the ambiguity. But I think what we're also speaking to is that the only way that we have found comfort in that place is to build our tolerance to be there. Yeah. Which I think is really, really takes time. And, and you notice as soon as you start using language that projects outward or about others, that there's a tender place. Yesterday I was talking to my mom about education and, uh, you know, Millie's four and we're, we're knee deep in those discussions. But I also know it's one of those things I need to build my capacity. I need mm. resourcing. I need conversation. And you and I are changing as we're talking through this because we're in community having these conversations and reimagining together didactically, right? And that's what we, yeah. that's embodied activism too. And I was just really like regulated and fine having this conversation as much as you can when you're talking to your mother about education. <laughs> and, um, yes. and then I just said, I just, I just found this tender spot and I'm going to get emotional talking about it. And I just said, I just don't want Millie to stop being wild, you know? And then it was yeah. like, oh, there's my like little girl that's stopping wild. And so mm. the grace and the humility to be able to be like, it's not actually even anything about her at all. And I just said that. I said, oh, there's that tender part, you know, that the systems were too big. And, um, but then how we dance that line of that does become a really strong value of mine. And as her parent, that is a value that I'll uphold in my family, um, Mm. whilst also seeing all of her. And I just think that it's that, that instead of seeing embodied leadership as this form of leadership where we have it all together and we're always hyper-regulated and we're always, at capacity to be able to sustain and live in that ambiguity, I actually think it's it's getting to those tender points and mm. not and being so polarised that invites us back into the middle, right? Yeah. And, I mean, I think if you look at, I mean, we are the universe, right, and the universe is in expansion and contraction, that mm. dance. And so we as human bodies are regulated, dysregulated, regulated, dysregulated, like, the, like you know, as expressions of the universe. And so I don't think that, I think it's a fantasy that we're always going to be regulated, but I think mm. it's like you've said, to find the wisdom in your dysregulation and the opening there, and the transformation there that means that the next level that you hit, you've got more wisdom to mm. meet it. 
you're not never going to hit it, but that you have like tucked into your own kind of embodied practice, you know, the fact that, that you built resilience to get, you know, to get where you are to, to this point and that you have a practice to, you know, embody greater resilience as you hit your next point and that there is no end journey. There's just continuous growth. Mm. And when you have the, the outlook that you have, you see it as growth, right? I mean, it might, might not, might not be very fun all of the time and it might be full of pain sometimes, but that there's purpose in it. Mm because there's an unfolding in it. And there's in children, you know, there's such an entanglement as you've identified that, you know, is it not wanting to call, you know, quash her wildness or is it that part of you that you're still yearning to set free, mm. right, that you see in her? And this is always all of the time, I think, just like I, you know, before we got on and I was like really irritated with my seven-year-old and I'm thinking all the things I have to teach him because I'm trying to, there's parts of me that I'm still trying to, you know, like, be okay with right about about um like disappointing people or or um not using appropriate social idealisms perhaps and so I'm seeing that reflected in my son and so is it that I have to teach him all of these things right now or is it that I can be okay with more nuance Mm. in myself because I'm you know so well practiced at the good girl and the cooperative girl and the you know pleasantries and all of that stuff Mm, or not wanting to or or sometimes I think even it's an invitation to complete you know the process that was Mm. interrupted or incomplete and so I know when I'm really feeling a bit a bit of something about around social graces I'm like oh there's the part that was shamed you know oh there she is and just needs to have a really big cry and a really big like to complete what I wasn't able to then and I think when we talk about bandwidth and capacity and you've said it in different ways too it's like the unbecoming and the Mm. letting go and the shedding all words that you've used and for me, that's like the completing and the catharsis and the movement and the mm. like, and the release of that, which takes up so much bandwidth of trying to control everyone and everything around us oh to keep God, us safe. Doesn't it? Right? Doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it? I know. Like, and almost like, you know, meditating on, you know, our child doing that thing, like that we'd be embarrassed by and actually seeing that that too would be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd, we'd be okay and they'd be okay, you know, as opposed to trying to like, you know, as you say, get every all the ducks in a row and like that everybody's set up and knows what they need to have and who they need to be at this place and mm. instead go that I can be with the fluidity of what is. Mm. So good. There's there's two more places I want to go. One being just just coming back to this idea of this social change, reimagining being a relational embodied activism being a relational practice. And you've said it a few times, but like do you really do you see that as revolutionary in a way too of like that toolkit that you gift others being able to come back in close to someone that we're feeling tender with, which is really just about ourselves, you know, that, that it strikes me that we're not meant to do this alone. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're not, I don't think we are. And I think, you know, often it's our most intimate relationships that are the hardest because they're the, all of the, they're all, they represent all of the parts that we're most um, struggling with because you can't hide from them. And, and that awareness too of realizing that I can, 
I could dish it out. But gosh, when I meet it in my husband, for instance, there can be such tenderness because we don't realize often we, we are so unconscious. We think we can, we often think we can be so conscious, but we are just as unconscious because of the size of our shadow. And, you know, that the shadow being all of those parts that we don't even have in our own awareness, but that will show up in our world as a way to meet it. But I always think that that is really, really powerful as a place to sit and to you know, ask. Like I, the other night, I, I after one of Dan's announcements, I realised how much rage I had released out of my body and and I, my baby was like up. She, she usually sleeps through the night but she woke up a lot that night and I could see she was, she was there for me to release that because I really had to meet every edge with her, which is essentially her inviting me to be with and process what I was pushing down. Mm. And that, that what that did was invited a conversation because I realised in the middle of the night that I, have, I am so well practised um, with my mother about not unleashing my wild because I don't feel that she has capacity for it that I've actually unwittingly trained my husband not to fully meet my wild. Mm. And so really, <laughs> We're so clever, aren't we? <laughs> oh, I know, right? And so I, I it said to him in the morning, I said, I just, I realise this and so I, I need to make this safe with you because this needs to go somewhere in a really constructive way and so I'd like to practise that with you. So that's one of, you know, our tasks because we sometimes don't even realise the stuff that we've buried or that we've not made okay because they be, it becomes such a, you know, a, a very, very well-constructed part of our sense of self and, you know, particularly if we've been um, celebrated for it as well. Like, you know, I've, I'm often celebrated of how level-headed I am and how wise beyond my years I am. Mm. And so if I'm all those things, then I can't be completely unhinged, can I? Mm. Right? So there's a lot of power in, in, I think, allowing that to unravel in us and then saying, hey, there's this, this is to work with and how do I work with it, you know, in an embodied way that is, um, you know, being willing to feel it um, and feel it in relationship and use it in a, in a way that feels good. Mm, feel it and express it right like that yeah. second part <clears throat> that second yeah. part is and isn't it just easier right with all that bubbling rage all that bubbling like simmering activation isn't it just so much easier to resent him for not totally. for not making it safe <laughs> exactly but you know how but the question is really how complicit am i yeah. in this in, in this reality how complicit am i in the reality that i'm experiencing right now because it's it's 100% my responsibility and 100% your responsibility. It's mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that I think is really, that, 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 is, that is relationship up-leveling because you realise you don't need someone new or a different experience. You just actually need to move a little bit closer toward that which you don't like mm-hmm. to allow it expression. Yes. I, lo- I adore that so much. I just think there's so much. And then... And then the pathway that is cleared and the capacity that is built when that fear of your own rage is not, is not there anymore, right? This doesn't mean the rage isn't there, but the fear of your own expression isn't there. And that has so much freedom and bandwidth. And I think rage is one of those places like it's still, we still have so much 
work to do to sit alongside it and to and yeah. to practice being with it and I know for me my rage catalyzes me into who needs me right and then it's the perfect solution because I can just resent the person who needs me who I've actually entered into their space and been like oh you clearly need me and now I can express my rage at you instead of expressing what is unsafe for me and I just Mm -hmm. think that patterning is so ancestral in my lineage it is so deep and there's like I've been processing that through my body for years (laughs) And so it's just, it's a practice, isn't it, every day? I know. And I think too, like sometimes it can almost feel good. Like I I notice in my patterning, um, because my mum was the youngest of 12. Mm. And so like I notice really big scarcity patterning in Mm. me. And like, so, you know, like around food and around appreciation and around my kids are constantly asking for stuff. And I mean, I don't really recall how that manifested for me as a child. I probably, I must have blocked it out. (laughs) (laughs) But it's coming up in my own children and I'm like, gosh, like, and almost sometimes it feels so good in my body to like reaffirm that I'm right. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it feels good is the exact place where there's work because because it's actually so unbalanced. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you find yourself saying words like just be grateful and then you're like, what does that even mean to a child? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. or or I heard a dad the other day and like no judgment because I've totally done it before as well of like when I was a kid, you know, and it's like, what are you, <laughs> what are you going to achieve with that? Like, you know. But, it, but it be, because you're so activated, it feels so good. Like, I just want you to appreciate this. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's what that is essentially. And like, you don't know how lucky you are. and <laughs> Which is again, that tender part of like the opposite being, oh, it was so hard not to have yeah. what I desired. So, I mean, it's interesting because desires that kind of the last the last place I wanted to go on this whirlwind tour of embodied activism. Um, it strikes me that there's two paths like that we're speaking to around, around building this capacity. And one is you have a desire and to stretch into that desire, you have to build capacity and meet those edges along the way. And that desire Mm. could be in the form of for the collective, or it could be an individual desire, but of course there's no separation because whatever is a true desire is for the collective anyway, and is for, Mm. is regenerative. Um, But then there's this other path of like, and, and I'll use the example of when we bought this property and it was like a dream, but the transition from a quarter acre to one acre with all sorts of animals and, and we kept building it, right? Like we kept making more and more work. And, and then there was that point of resentment of like, oh, I've got to tend to all of this stuff, but it's actually a really high value of mine. And it's hitting up against another high value of like family or my work or, but it was almost like this idea of crowding out by bringing something new in. I think sometimes Mm. it happens with motherhood too. Like it literally crowds out like other things, other things. And then, and then when I'm outside, because I have to tend to something, that's where the magic is. And my whole body relaxes and I'm in flow and I'm like, Mm. ah, I knew like, you know, but it's that resistance to growth and expansion and building capacity. But I wonder for you, like today, because I know Pearl's one now, and 
where are you wanting to build capacity and how are you doing it? Is you stretching into a desire or you're building your capacity for what is here now, present? Yeah, so for me, I mean, I'm stretching into a desire um, to morph the form of, of my business to really move towards more online, so more online um, programs and facilitation and really moving into that mentorship and and guiding space that I've done so for so many years of nourishing the mother but 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 moving it into this this form of suburban sandcastles and seeing for me all of the edges that I hit up around capacity and and the and around how I've organized my life um today because I live a lot in the feminine and I live a lot in the flow and I'm realizing that there's going to need to be more structure and how does that fit with my values and how does that fit with my lifestyle? But, and, 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 you know, there's a process of like um, pain in that change of like, you know, habit, like a new habit creation and, you know, stepping into the person who can, right? Like that practice is kind of where I'm really sitting. And, and cause I know how much when I am in service like that, that it actually really feeds my parenting and I have more capacity Whereas at the moment, you know, in lockdown 24-7 parenting without a lot of um, little places and spaces which create that free flow of energy, I can feel, you know, that kind of contortion happening and that kind of like, you know, almost like that that scarcity kind of like clawing at what I have, um, you know, patterning coming up. And so it's both growing into the desire to morph and change and shift knowing that in doing that that actually builds my capacity because I know that when I feed my energy with what's in alignment for me that that I have more energy for everything else it doesn't mm. actually take away from it mm. if that makes sense makes total sense and you know I mean there's a whole nother conversation around embodied leadership in business and for me there's such a big paradigm shift to in that world of um business has to look a certain way and has to be a certain way. And I mm. totally know that edge because I'm exactly the same as you. I'm 99% awareness and respond. Like I just respond. Respond yeah. to you with that. Yeah. Totally. Um, and so to build a business and still tend to the other things in my life, but also to do business the way I want to, like that's revolutionary and rebel. Like yeah. that's rebellion as well, I think, because mm. It strikes me that we're still um, a lot in the online business space tending to the system of um, that there's one way and I just think yeah. that there is as many ways as there are us. And, again, it's yeah. like that feedback loop of what feels bloody good for me and what what is that even, how do I know that that feels good? What does that even mm. feel like in my body? And, mm. um, oh, goodness, that process of bringing spaciousness in different ways into the business world. Like I'm all for that mm. as well. I mean, it, it, that in itself is trailblazing, right? Like, you know, mm. even, and we're, we're in this amazing kind of golden age of, of so much possibility, but, but nine tenths of it is you realizing that that possibility is there and taking that opportunity um, and not continually cycling back to the old paradigms of, of how things had to be, because we see now that, says so much up for the taking in terms of how we do business because we're in such incredible times. Mm. And so I think it's reminding ourselves of that 
whenever we start to doubt it um, and move towards that potentiality at the same time as, you know, doing it in the, in the form of expression that's most, you know, aligned with us. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and you've always been that representation in the field for so many, I think, you know, you and Julie of like it is possible to have business and family alongside co, you know, co-habiting mm. in a way. And I think that it's honouring that potential to integrate but also, as you say, really honouring the need and desire for space to to be with our businesses outside of our families and Mm. I think that both again it's not one or the other it's both that's right and and I think you know seeing the value like because a constant thing for me is like that perception that the more I work on my business it takes away from my family Mm. but I have really been building so much evidence for myself in all the ways it contributes to it and all of the ways that my daughters and my son benefit from seeing me creating business alongside our family and what that um, ignites in them and has the potential to ignite in them I mean like that's Mm. priceless really well and and it's priceless for the folks we work with like I'm just really conscious just like you can hear my kids yelling outside my door there's like going to be a sheep in here any minute you know and it's just like (laughs) I never know where my charger is and I think this conversation the way it's come together is like that um representation that it's not beautiful and it doesn't look perfect and it's by no means seamless um but but there's still a high enough value on it to someone once once asked me like how do you how do you do it and it's like because I can't not you know I I can't step away and I won't step away and so I keep trying to find regenerative ways to do it and Mm. that changes (laughs) as I change too yeah Mm. it's beautiful and I think that that's the answer really and because you're you're cultivating that ability to be adaptable you know that also just feeds every other area of life because you you know that you'll find a way Mm. if it's most meaningful for you you'll find a way oh what a beautiful thing to end on it's most meaningful for you you'll find a way it's so (laughs) profound tell me um and the folks about trailblazer and then we can go back to tending to whatever it is that's happened since we've been on this yes yes i can i I can also hear lots of um activity outside my door too so Mm. (laughs) um yes a trailblazer is a is um, my second program that i'm just launching since we've um since all of my in-person things have been taken away thanks to covid and i you know i have just 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 as much gratitude to COVID for for you know how it's called me to shift and that I think so many people too really mm. and so Trailblazer is um, all about embodied activism and it is for leaders movers and shakers and people who want to expand their knowledge and practice the integration of human behavior and consciousness and and to really honor their voice and also learn the art of honoring others in theirs because sometimes we can get so single focused about how our activism is the activism the world needs and, and it's the right way, um, but that my work also really helps you to see uh, how functional um, the, you know, whatever your other side is and that often how that other side for you also shows up in your family dynamic. So when you can see the purpose and function of it, you can integrate it into your world as opposed to um dissociating from it or closing down towards it and in my experience that really deeply enriches relationship when you can see the purpose of of um 
that challenge that we can come up against when we do really seek to, you know, embody activism and really be change makers. Mm. I bloody love it. I, I just mm. think, yeah, I think it's such a beautiful um, offering and where do people find you if they want more information? So check out Suburban Sandcastles on Facebook or Instagram or also my website, suburbansandcastles.com. And you can also find my podcast at Nourishing the Mother. Mm, Such a beautiful podcast. I feel Mm. like I've journeyed with all over four or five years. It's been a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank thank you for listening for so long and for, of course, having me on this podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being here.